0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Jake Fisher, senior NBA reporter at Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter, by the way, at Jake L. Fisher. Jake, where does this deadline rank for you among the most exciting that you've covered?
1: it was up there i mean I've, I've been covering the league since 2013 but primarily covering the transaction side of things since uh 2020 and of, of those four seasons this is by far i mean kevin durant russell westbrook kyrie irving all getting traded for first time in nba history you've got three all-stars with eight plus uh all-star appearances being dealt obviously russ is not at the peak of his powers anymore but a big game and and big ripple effects that come from all all three of those moves. And uh, I'm sure plenty more you guys want to get
0: into. Well, yeah, we we do. Unfortunately, uh, maybe we're not getting into some of the big star moves because here in Charlotte, well, we just didn't have any of those types of stars like Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, even after the fact that might get traded. I did want to ask you about Jalen McDaniels though, because that was the most polarizing trade. And mostly I think a lot of Charlotte Hornets fans were sad to see him go. Eventually the Hornets only net one second round pick in in return. Are you surprised to see the Hornets only gained that profit? How much interest did he gain around the deadline?
1: He definitely had interest. I think the, the difficult thing about and why Charles ultimately moved him and the difficult thing just about rostering McDaniels um, moving forward here is that he's an unrestricted free agent and the word's gotten out around the league um, and it's not like a big secret. Like obviously when teams are, are trying to trade for someone who's about to hit the open market; they want to get a sense of what his dollar figure is going to look like. He's going to want roughly around the mid-level, you know, ten or so million dollars for someone who's been pretty unproven in a you know winning environment, obviously, and clearly has some you know still room to grow. This has been his best season; this is just happening in a contract year, all that type of stuff. So, I think the potential flight risk um, and the fact that teams might not necessarily view him in, in the salary tier that he views himself. Um, I, th- I think that dampened the overall marketplace for him
2: Jake Westmoreland here the other move that the hornets made was uh trading Mason Plumlee and making room for their first round draft pick Mark Williams from what you've seen from him thus far do you feel like uh that was a great move by the hornets and Williams shows promise to be a franchise type of player He's
1: definitely made a lot of uh, progress excuse me over the last Several weeks, I remember down at the G League showcase in mid-December, um, I saw him out down with the Swarm, and he definitely looked like a, a player who was moving at, at a speed, you know, maybe a little bit above what the rest of that game looked like. And for, for, from other big men, like he was processing things on defense, he definitely was able to catch or make a play with the ball in the paint when he was in a crowd. Um, and they obviously used a high lottery or a lottery pick on him—not exactly a high pick, but. Um, you know, center has been a big question mark for this team dating back to when they added Mason Plumlee in the 2020 draft, um, by trade when there were guys like Rashawn Holmes and Earl Noel and the flirtation of Miles Turner that were all kind of looking at Charlotte in the, in that off season as a landing spot They kind of used Mason Plumlee as as, as Hornets fans are well aware of as a stopgap for three seasons now. So to finally create a path to maybe, I mean, Mark Williams might not be that guy, but he's shown some success on both sides of the floor, and it'll be good to have him have a runway next to a talent like LaMelo who can grow with him when they fit on the same timeline as opposed to a veteran who's on the in the twilight of his career like Nathan is.
2: And talking about his growing partner, LaMelo Ball, we know last year he made the all-star team uh, as an alternate, and then this year he more than likely won't make it. How tough is it going to be for him going forward, uh, with the trajectory that you see the horn is going for him to be able to get to a lot of those uh, individual and team accomplishments that a lot of people feel like he will need to to reach that upper echelon? I
1: mean, we'll see the way things can break depending on the lottery. If Charlotte ends up walking away as Victor Wembanyama, I mean, the overall circumstances and landscape of that team's rebuild dramatically. Change, of course, right? And then there's a situation kind of looming over everything with Miles Bridges, obviously. I mean, who knows what exactly will uh, unfold there in terms of his next contract and what have you. But there's pretty generally an expectation, I would say, that he'll be back in the fold sometime next season. So if you can throw a top lottery pick, LaMelo, potential you know, continued strides for Mark Williams, uh, and Bridges into the fold. It's it, it's an intriguing uh, group that you can move forward with. Obviously, the off-court situation with Bridges notwithstanding.
0: It's Jake Fisher joining us on the Bodyworks Plus guest hotline. And Jake, just to clarify about Miles Bridges, you said kind of the expectation was that he would be back in the fold. And does that specifically reference the Charlotte Hornets after this NBA investigation is all said and done?
1: I just know that the league is taking it very very seriously. And there's no, like, light at the end of the tunnel, let's say, in terms of figuring out what his suspension is going to be and the next steps and order of operations that have to occur there. There's just been plenty of talk, let's say, about what will happen after that process comes to a a close.
0: All right, once again, Jake Fisher joining us here, the senior NBA reporter at Yahoo Sports. He's joining us at the on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. I wanted to talk about another veteran with this Hornets team, and Terry Rogier. A lot of people had figured he might be off of this team by the deadline, but here he still remains. Do you think Rogier is a more likely candidate to get traded this offseason?
1: I know they had conversations about him. I don't know how serious they got. It didn't seem like they, anything ever got pretty close to the one-yard line. Um, but I wrote about it at Yahoo on Tuesday. A lot of conversations that take place at the deadline, um, can always kind of recirculate or maybe they have a greater window in the off season to your point. So, um, I think that there's a real opportunity, um, to have him get moved, but, the question is going to be more about what the long-term salary cap structure looks like. If we get any clarity about that after these CBA talks will hopefully be finalized between the league and the players union, because the length of his contract is something that teams talk about in terms of acquiring him. And I, I do wonder if what might be considered a bit of a negative value deal right now around the league, it might have increased value depending on um what the end of his contract's general salary structure around the NBA looks like, where you could see salary cap numbers rise, other salaries spike. His deal could actually end up looking like maybe a bit of a bargain towards the end of it.
2: Jake, Mitch check came out and said that the Hornets plan to sign pretty much all of their veteran players back next season. And this is a little bit different than what we thought they were going to do. What do you feel about that plan for the Hornets? And do you feel like they're on the right trajectory?
1: I think ultimately they're a long way away and a a lucky bounce of a ping pong ball here will go probably further for Charlotte than any other team in the bottom of the NBA landscape right now. Detroit already has a bunch of infrastructure in place with Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey and Jalen Dern and others. Orlando's obviously got this kind of two headed wing monster with Palabon Caro and Franz Wagner. I mean, the Rockets are a bit of a mess institutionally, um, but they at least have like a collection of guys now. I mean, right now, if you're looking in the mirror as, as a member of the Charlotte Hornets front office, mellow Ball is not even like a surefire, you know, candidate to be uh, a cornerstone of a winning franchise right now. We've seen him get to the playing tournament, and the All Star numbers were fantastic a year ago. But at this at this juncture, like if you take true serum and really evaluate yourself, I don't think the Hornets can truly believe that they've got the bedrock of a perennial playoff contender in the works right now. So they've got a long way to go. I mean, bringing back Kelly Oubre and what have you, like these are, those are nice pieces to kind of keep trying to make, maybe help start building your identity around the Mello. And obviously his, his injury um, history this season and his inability to be on the court for much of the year so far has, um, you know, been a roadblock to starting to, keep adding uh, and building this thing up under Steve Clifford's first year back with the franchise. But I think the Hornets, and I think they all kind of recognize, too, that that this is a a true rebuild here and something that's going to take some time.
2: Now, you've been one of the first that we've heard to talk about that you're not so sure about the potential of LaMelo Ball. What do you feel like are some of the, the flaws in his game that could prevent him from becoming that superstar and why you feel the way that you feel about him?
1: I don't think I don't think he like it's scary. He won't become a, a superstar. I mean, the, the flash, the talent, the ability—it's all there. But dating back to the—I mean, that, that was the big knock on him in the pre-draft process among scouts who had watched him back, uh, you know, through his gallivanting around the world, basically, um, but primarily in Australia. Where, and I, I honestly, at the time of the draft, I think I was higher on him than the league-wide consensus was, but. There's a thing about just like winning principles and being, you know, comfortable in an environment where the pressure is and the expectations are to win games and not just perform and play well. And that's going to be a question that people on the league have about his ability, just like they had about Devin Booker before him and Kyrie Irving before that. Like, there are, are fewer players, I think, than people really realize who walk in and are immediately capable of being able to lead their team to victory. It's not exactly like a, Oh, uh, only problem, but he kind of falls into that category. I would say Mm -hmm.
0: Jake Fisher joining us on the Wesson and Walker show on the body works plus guest hotline. Jake, is it your sense that PJ Washington will be a Charlotte Hornet next season because of a contract extension?
1: That is my expectation. Um, I know there will be teams like the Miami Heat who have interest in him, Um, but at this point, all signals so far have been that Charlotte did not want to move him at the deadline because they have plans to bring him back next
0: season. And last thing for me, Jake, I just was going to ask about Steve Clifford and Mitch Kupchak. We had talked last year about how Mitch Kupchak, we thought maybe he could be out of the organization. And then he told us with media, he was speaking to them, answering questions saying, no, he did indeed agree to another contract with the Charlotte Hornets. So what do you think the future is for Steve Clifford who comes back in an unexpected way after Kenny Atkinson backed out and Mitch Kupchak right now, who uh, is an older GM who we thought might be out of the organization just last season.
1: So what I was told was Kupchak's extension uh, was a two year extension so this year would be the first and next year would be the last. And then he's got options moving after that uh, to be a senior advisor. Um, and he, I, I think that's kind of an idea that last season will be the final year of his years of the controls. But that's kind of also been, you know, a thought for several years moving forward. So until he's actually out of the pole position, I'm not going to I'll, – I'll believe it until I see it, you know. Um, but – I think with Cliff, like, he, I mean, he's not someone who comes into a situation to lose games and to grow and to be patient. Like, He's there to win and to instill a defense um, with strong principles, what have you. So I think he'll probably take what worked this season and go back to the drawing board and return next year with kind of a, a new goal and how to teach what he's trying to accomplish there. And, um, I mean, he he seems to be in it for for the long haul on his side of things. As long as Charlotte gives him the runway, which for now I believe that to be the case, uh, I do expect Steve Clifford to continue to be the head coach of, of the Charlotte Hornets.
2: And Jake, the scenarios you presented for the Hornets to really take that leap were to be able to get Victor Wimbenyama. And why do you feel like and what's the perception from around the league to you as to why like Michael Jordan over the years hasn't been able to lure uh, top talent that wants to come and play for him? And why a franchise like Charlotte has to uh, depend on, especially in a season like this, landing a star like Victor Wimbenyama?
1: I wrote a story a couple weeks ago about like the recent history of modern trade requests uh, of all stars and superstars and all NBA the players. It's just all those guys, you look back to twenty, you know, eleven with Carmelo Anthony, all these guys want to go to New York, LA, or Miami. Like that's pretty much it. And if you're outside of those situations, you kind of need to have a perfect situation to draw the eye of those types of players like Phoenix right now. Um, I mean, Boston would obviously be a situation that I think a player would be pretty interested in joining Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. That, that, that's, that's just as much of a team building strategy as anything. Building something that, if you stack your chips well enough to order to trade for a guy like the Cleveland Cavaliers did with Donovan Mitchell, doesn't matter if he wanted to go to New York. You've got three all star caliber players around him, and he's happy to compete and stick around, and they're, they're at the top of the Eastern Conference there. So, that's kind of the, the, the roadmap for smaller market teams. It's You build through the draft, you make smart moves on the edges, you create a situation that ultimately will allow yourself to make that big trade for a guy when he becomes available and he won't be just looking out the door. So that, that's, that's why I think Charlotte, Charlotte will be best optimized following that path.
0: It's great stuff from senior NBA reporter Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Also, make sure you check out his book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Maybe the Charlotte Hornets are going to be a part of that here soon with the uh, tanking era about surrounding the Queen City. Jake, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, guys. Take care.